This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Do you have your real Bibles today? If you have a real Bible, take it out and hold it up. See, I love to see real Bibles. Real Bibles. Amen. So I want you to take your real Bible today and I want you to begin to underline under it. We're going to go to the book of 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, and we'll be studying from 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter this morning. And uh, we'll be looking at 15 points. I know you love 15-point messages, but we should be done in about two and a half hours, okay? The title of my message this morning is Share His Love, which is the theme for this year and the theme for uh, our action conference is, of course, as it is in heaven, so be it on earth. You know, we, we desire to see God's will, his heavenly will, his wisdom from above coming on earth. But today it's share his love and the message is agape love. Agape, of course, is the Greek word for love and we'll be defining it a little bit, word, a little bit later in the message. So we find that there's a definitive word on love in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. So if you'll turn to the 13th chapter, we'll find out that this definitive word, this word that defines love, the God kind of love, is found here. Now, you have to understand the context of this teaching. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is known as the church that has all the gifts. They got all the prophets, they got all the apostles, they got all the pastors, they got all the teachers. They got tongues, they've got miracles, they got signs and wonders, they got a miracle a minute. People are falling down in church, but they have no character. Sound like a church you know? I've seen our church like that sometimes. So full of gifting, but so short on character. And this church was known for its gifts, and they were emphasizing a good thing, spiritual gifts. They emphasized all these spiritual gifts, but they neglected the best thing. And the Apostle Paul is bringing correction. They were using their gifts apart from love. See, I don't know how, I don't care how gifted anybody is if it's not backed by love. And that's what the Apostle Paul is correcting here. The Apostle Paul is bringing correction to this church, and he does it through two letters that he writes to them. And eventually, he leads the Corinthians to the realization that selfless love is the priority of every believer. It's the priority of every Christian, selfless love. So open with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, and we're going to start reading. And uh, the, the first three verses talk about the preeminence of love. The preeminence of love. Everybody say preeminence. What, is, what does that big word mean? Preeminence. Well, it means that above everything else, love is more important. And listen to what it says. It says, if I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can even move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. You see... The preeminence of love simply is that love is greater than every spiritual gift. Why? Because without love, gifts are empty. Gifts are empty. We go on and we see that not only does God care about love being first, and not only does Paul teach that, but he also wants to, us to practice love. So the next few verses are about the practice of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. 
It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes and always perseveres. You see, the practice of love is how love is greater than spiritual gifts because of its selfish or its selfless character. The character of love is selfless. It doesn't think about oneself. It thinks about somebody else. Paul's describing the actions of love, how love acts. You know, in our English language, most of these words are what we call uh, predicated adjectives. They're, they're, they're adjectives. But in the Greek language, these are not adjectives at all. They are verbs. Love is not talk. Love is action. Love is action. And then finally, we see the permanence of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13, it says, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away, or I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. You know, permanence. One of the things that we all long for is something that has permanence. Wouldn't you love to have the same laws in this country for more than a week at a time? Wouldn't you love Zimra to be able to collect taxes the same way for one year without changing the law? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just have 25 years of the same laws? Couldn't you build something powerful if you knew it wasn't going to change tomorrow? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just keep our currency strong for 25 years? But no, we, we, nobody can really build because it's so temporary. Everything in our nation is so temporary because we're not led by principle we're led by the whims of man. We're led by the selfishness of people who do not consider the whole. They only consider the part. Are you listening to me? That's because we're not motivated, nor are we moved by love. We're moved by something else. And that's exactly what God's talking about. It's not only the nation. Churches do this. Churches can get so short-sighted that they only care about numbers and not the quality of our relationships. That's why it's so important for you to be involved in a cell group. That's why it's so important that you become actively involved with other people. Because it's through your relationships that you become somebody, that you become strong. And your relationships are permanent. Let me tell you something, crowds are temporary. Relationships are permanent. It's even in marriage. You know, a permanent relationship in marriage is not easy. You'll be challenged to keep your relationship for a long time. We live in a day and age where the philosophy of society is that, hey, you should have three or four wives at different stages of your life. A young wife to have fun with, another wife to have babies with, and another one to grow old with. I have that. I'm going to have three wives. It just happens to be the same woman. Amen? Hallelujah. Love is greater than all of the spiritual gifts because love outlasts them. It's permanent. Now, it's amazing to me how many of us like to apply these verses to other people. Have you ever noticed that? And sometimes we overlook ourselves. I've heard things like this said, you know, my wife and my children should, could sure use a lesson in love. But me? 
I'm basically a loving person. I'm really easy to get along with. Anybody ever say something like that? See, this morning I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to forget about everybody else. Forget about the people who need this message. I'm going to ask you to ask God to help you to apply this lesson and these messages to you. So just tap your neighbor and say, I'm not thinking about you. I'm only thinking about me today. Tap your other neighbor and say, I'm not asking you to change. I'm going to ask God to help change me today. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, there are 15 characteristics that the apostle uses or describes love as, and it shows what love acts like or how it looks in every single day of our life. You know, I think that unless it's practically played out in our daily lives, what good is it? I I know a lot of Christians who love to talk about the theory of love. Or they like to talk about what they know from the Bible, but they don't, know, want, they don't really want to practice it in their lives. In fact, I know a lot of people that are really good at Bible trivia. They get the right answer. They're just not good at making it work in their lives. I know some people in Bible school, they're really good. They get straight A's in Bible school because they get the right answer. They just don't know how to make it work in their lives. Which do you think is more important? Tap your neighbor. Say, which do you think is more important? I know in Zimbabwe it's straight A's, right? (laughs) Hallelujah. So let me give you a definition of the word agape. Agape, or the word for love, is a caring, self-sacrificing commitment which shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. Isn't that a powerful, testimony, or powerful definition? It's the caring, self-sacrificing commitment which shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one you love. So if you really love God, you care more about God and you want the highest good for God than anyone else. If you really love your wife, you really want the best for her than, than yourself and vice versa. If you really love your husband, you're really thinking about Him more than you think about yourself. Hmm? Hmm? I see a couple of husbands and wives going, "Mm, mm, mm." I I warned you, this is not about them today. It's about you. Remember, it's about you. Are you, how are you performing, okay? Jesus, the Lord, our Savior, Jesus the Christ, In his sacrificial death on the cross of Calvary, he's the the epitome and he's the embodiment of this kind of love. Uh, You know, I, I could preach a whole series of sermons on each one of these attributes and each of these qualities of love. But instead, this morning I want to just take a brief look at each one of them, okay? So let's just go through them and let's start with verse 4. Uh, in verse 4, and, and, and points 1 and 2 are together, it says that uh, we're going to talk about that selfless love is both patient and it's kind. It says love is patient and love is kind. Uh, the New King James, King James Version says love suffers long and is kind. Uh, patience and kindness. You know, Paul takes these two attributes and he puts them together and uh, he puts them first. He says, these two attributes are first and they're together. That usually means they're probably the most important. And my question is, why did he put these two qualities together to describe love? Well, Paul, peaches, Paul, Paul preaches and he teaches that love is patient or that it suffers long. is long-suffering. Suffering relates to something that is hard, something that is difficult. If we love someone, we don't write them off the first time that they offend us. In fact, I find that people are often more, more patient with a longtime friend than they are, or with somebody that they become accustomed to, than they are with a stranger. 
Have you ever had somebody just annoy you? You don't even know them, but they just annoy you. I don't want to be friends with you. I just, I, I can just tell. Yet you have a friend who has those same annoying tendencies and you've learned to be friends with them and you can tolerate them. Hmm. When a friend does something to irritate us or annoy us, I guess we kind of have this attitude. We kind of say, well, that's just the way he is or she is. That's her personality. You know, uh, we're all human. None of us are perfect. Anybody ever hear those arguments? See, we seem to make allowances for friends. I don't know. I notice in my life that, and I've catch myself sometimes, that I can meet people that have the same traits as my friends. For some reason, I, maybe it's I'm getting older, but I just can't tolerate that in those people anymore. I don't want anything to do with them. It's like, the truth be told, we tolerate things in our friends that we won't accept in strangers. The godly kind of love, the love that is long-suffering, the Bible says, does not keep a record of rights and wrongs. Jesus taught that our response to those who sin against us or rub us the wrong way was to forgive them. And he says not to forgive them seven times, but 70 times seven. So real love has this quality about it that says, I'm going to forgive you regardless of what you do. You know, when I study the Apostle Paul, he teaches us to be imitators of Christ. We have to understand this, that whatever Jesus did, he did as a pure reflection, the exact image of God. The Bible says that Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do, and I only say what I hear my father say. So if we view Jesus' life, we see that he was exhibiting the characteristics of God. And one of those characteristics that he exhibited was that of long-suffering. The Bible's filled with examples showing that God is slow to anger, that he's long-suffering with his stiff-necked people. Moses wrote this in Exodus 34. He said, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious Lord, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Love and faithfulness, slow to anger. Can you see these same attributes? The attributes that Paul's calling us to, he says, be like God, be like Jesus. Long-suffering, slow to anger. And faithful. Long-suffering and faithfulness, they go together. In Romans 2, verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance, and his patience? Not realizing it's the kindness of God that is intended to lead you to repentance. One version says, the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Kindness. Kindness leads people somewhere. Goodness leads people somewhere. That's why God wants us to be like him. This requires the grace of God on your life to live like this. So not, remember who are we talking to today? Yeah, just point your finger at yourself. Say, you're talking about me. So I want you to do something. I want you to think about your own journey. How long did God endure with your, your unbelief before you accepted Christ? How long did he put up with your flagrant sin? I mean, that sin that you rebelled against God, you shook your fist at God. Now you can tap your neighbor. See, now I think he's talking about you, not me. You see, if it wasn't for the long suffering of God, we would all perish. You know, if God treated you and I with as much patience, or I should say with as much impatience as we treat other people, I think we would all be suffering in hell right now. But he endures our disobedience. He endures our blasphemy. He endures our indifference towards him, our unbelief and our sin. And he still loves us. That's pretty amazing to me. That's who God is. 
And that's how he manifests his love towards us. He shows his love by his patience, by his long-suffering, by his kindness. Not only are we called to be patient and long-suffering, you know, you know uh, and I, I think sometimes we, we, I think we get the picture that those two are different things. They're not. Patience and long-suffering are the same thing. Um, it's easy to be patient with people's sins, their iniquities, their shortcomings, as long as they don't cause us any pain. Have you ever been around somebody and you can see, oh, oh man, that guy's crazy. But as long as it doesn't affect me, I'm all right with it. <laughs> you know. Now remember who we're talking about today. But suffering long means loving when you and I are experiencing hurt or pain from people or situations. It means that we live in accordance with 1 Peter 4 and verse 8, which says, keep loving each other earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. This is the kind of love that suffers long. It's not to point everybody's sin out. It's to love them so much that we love them earnestly enough to cover them. Pray for them. Hope for them. See, we reflect the love of God, by the way, who suffers long. When you and I suffer long, that's how we reflect God's love. Whoever said that Christianity was just a bunch of blessing and peace and joy and happiness all the time, if they lied to you about that, they'll lie to you about some other stuff as well. You see, why does Paul pair patience or long-suffering with kindness? Think about it. How often have you and I suffered injury or hostility over a period of time? But we find ourselves becoming hostile and plotting revenge in return. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been with somebody who's hurting you and, 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 and you don't find yourself loving them? You find yourself saying, you know, if I ever get a chance, I'm going to pay that guy back. Anybody ever feel that way? You see, and, and, and uh, this is why the Bible teaches that long-suffering also includes kindness. You see, we have to be kind towards those who are causing our suffering. The Bible says it this way. It says, what good does it do if you're kind to those who are kind to you? Don't the heathens do that? He says the true attribute of a Christian is you can be kind to those who do evil to you. You can love those who hate you. You can pray for those who despitefully use you. You can turn your cheek when they slap you. You can go the extra mile. This is the kindnesses that God's talking about. This is the long-suffering and it can only be done through Christ. We're called to be kind to those who are causing our suffering. How many of you know kind people are not rude? They're not severe. They're not mean. Kind people are generous. They're sensitive. They're tender to other people. You know, for me, I, I think it's hard to find a person who's genuinely kind. I have a daughter who's genuinely kind. I don't know any kinder person than my daughter. I watch her not just with me, but with people. Everywhere she goes, she has a kindness to her. My wife is kind. I don't know a kinder person. Every stray cat, every stray dog. I'm speaking of human beings. But our house is, her car is, I have to, I said, Bonnie, you can't just pick everybody up on the street. Yeah, but they needed a ride. Said, Where were you? Well, I had to go to Epworth. I said, what are you doing to Epworth? Well, I picked these people up and I was witnessing to them. Sweetheart, sweetheart. You can't, you just, you can't just, well, I've stopped talking to her now. She just does it anyway. She can't help herself. She, if you have a Bible reading car, you're for sure to get picked up. Amen. 
A truly kind person is a rarity. You see, kindness has to be linked with long-suffering if it's to be a manifestation of love. Simply put, let's just say it this way. Love is neither impatient nor is it unkind. And this is a picture of God. It's a picture of the love of God, the, the same love that the Holy Spirit is cultivating in your heart, my heart. Tell your neighbor, I, he's still talking to me today. You know, we love to host people for dinner at our home. And uh, you have to know that my wife is an amazing cook. And she's taught our chef how to be as amazing. I mean, we eat like kings. But we do eat very healthily. And when you eat healthily, that's a little bit different diet than some people are used to. And uh, I'll never forget that we had one of our guests come. And we asked them if they liked a certain type of food. And the reply was, oh, yes, I love that. So we specially prepared a dish. And when the dish was passed to the guest, she wouldn't eat any of it. So when she was asked why she didn't eat it, we said, well, we, we thought you loved this dish. She says, oh, I do, just not enough to eat it. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was a, that was a very strange response. I, oh, I love it. I, I just don't love it enough to eat it. You know, and you, and you and I are asked, hey, do you love your request is, oh, of course I love. I love. We would all say that because it's the only right answer. But what do you mean by love? So often we love our family or we love our church or we love our nation like our guests love this special, special vegetable meal we made them or this dish. What it really means is we love the idea of it, but when it comes right down to it, we don't want to get too close. I think in the words of the Apostle John, he says, we've learned to love in word, but not in deed. John 3.18, 1 John 3.18, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Hmm. So I guess the question I'm trying to ask is, how do we know what love looks like on a day-to-day -day basis? Let's continue. Point three, I'll go a little faster now. Selfless love isn't jealous. The word here means to eagerly desire and is used both positively and negatively in the Bible. Jealousy is the negative sense. It's related to greed. It's related to selfishness. The Bible says where there's selfishness and greed, there's every evil work. The jealous person wants others to have or, or, or wants what others have has for himself. That's a jealous person. Do we have any jealousy in Zimbabwe? I want it for myself. I've learned this. We don't have so much jealousy in Zimbabwe as we do covetousness. Jealousy means, ooh, I wish I had what you have, but you let the other person have it. In Zimbabwe, we have covetousness, which is, I want what you have, but if I can't have it, I'm not going to let you have it either. Tap your neighbor. Say, remember, remember, he's talking to you. Oh, I mean me, 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 me. He's talking to me. You know, a, a jealous person is too selfish to applaud someone else's success. He has to have all the attention. In the family, a jealous husband refuses to trust his wife. A jealous wife refuses to trust her husband. She doesn't want to recognize, a, 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 a jealous husband doesn't want to recognize his wife's abilities or her contributions. It all has to be centered in him. He's jealous of the time she spends with the children. She's jealous with, he's jealous of the time she spends with her friends. He wants it all for himself. James says that jealousy is often the source of quarrels. 
and conflicts. James 4, 2, he says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. See, real love isn't going to quarrel or fight. It's not going to be jealous. It's going to trust God in these situations. Amen? Numbers 4 and 5 go together as well. Selfless love does not brag. It is not arrogant. These are what I call the ugly twins. They both stem from selfishness. And really, they're the flip side of jealousy. Jealousy is wanting what somebody else has. Bragging is trying to make others jealous of what you have. Jealousy puts others down. Bragging builds yourself up. Bragging is an outward manifestation of pride. The braggart tries to impress others of his great accomplishments in order to make himself look so good. After all I've done for you, you treat me this way? That's the braggart. Always comparing. But see, love isn't trying to build me up. Love is trying to build up the other person. That's what the Bible says love is. Love is humble. The humble, loving person is aware that everything he has and everything that he is is an undeserved gift from God. Do you believe that? Corinthians 4.17, 1 Corinthians 4.7 says this, For who makes you different from anyone? What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you didn't? So, don't boast. Be thankful. Be thankful for what God has given you and serve others with it. Number six, selfless love does not act unbecomingly does not act unbecomingly. And, and uh, the, the NIV says it's not rude. You see, real love, agape love, doesn't needlessly offend. Let's put it this way. Love has good manners. It's courteous, it's polite, sensitive to the feelings of, other, uh, of others, and it always uses tact. Uh, the reason we're not courteous, of course, is that if you're only thinking about yourself and not thinking about others, you don't need to be. You only care about you. We're living in a more and more self-centered world where people don't care about someone else. It's only about me. I want to be first in line. I want me, me, mine, at the expense of everybody else. I think we've all Heard stories like this, you know, about the man who generally was lacking in manners. He never opened the car door for his wife. His comment was, well, she doesn't have two broken arms. After many years of marriage, his wife died. And at the funeral, the pallbearers brought her casket out to the hearse. The husband was standing by the door of the hearse and the funeral director who knew the husband by name called out to him and said open the door for her for her will you he reached for the car door and then for one second froze and he realized that he had never opened the door for her in life and now in death it would be the first the last and the only time a lifetime of regret came crashing down around him and he realized that love is not rude. Number seven, we're just about halfway there. If you hold your breath, I'll go faster. <laughs> Selfless love does not seek its own. One version says it's not selfish. It doesn't demand its rights. Alan Redpath, a great theologian, said this. He says, the secret of every discord in Christian homes 
communities and churches is that we seek our own way and our own glory. Another theologian called Linsky put it this way. He says, cure selfishness and you plant a garden of Eden. You see, selfishness is the root problem of the human race. It's the antithesis of love, which is self-sacrificing. What did Adam and Eve do in the Garden of Eden? They weren't thinking about love. They weren't thinking about their love of God. They were thinking about being like God. They were selfish. They said, we can become like him. We can eat of this tree and we can have for ourselves what is only attributable to God. Is that not what selfishness is in our lives? Selfless love doesn't seek its own. There was a six-year-old boy, and he wrote about love. Here's what he said. He says, I'm learning to lay down my life for my little sister. She has to take a nap in the afternoon, and I don't have to take a nap. But she can't go to sleep unless I come and lay down beside her. So I lay down with my little sister. Can I tell you something? That little boy is learning love. My little grandchild six years old, the other day was beside himself. He uh, was going to go visit Auntie Lola. And uh, he says, we have to go to the store. Everybody says, why? No, no, we don't have time. We're, we have to go to, and she, and, and he was with my secretary, Faye, and he insisted, and he was getting upset. And they went to the store, and she thought, well, do you, what do you want, some candy or something? No, 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 no. And he ran to the dog section and got some dog biscuits to take to Lola's dog. But he was so concerned that we did something for the dog. Now, I don't know where that attraction, but I'm going to tell you something. She asked him, would you like some candy? No. He's not interested in himself. He's interested in someone else. Well, something else. <laughs> Some of you don't treat your husbands and wives as well as you treat your dogs and cats. I'm just talking to you now. Just say it. Just, just, is anybody listening today? Tap your neighbor. Say, is he talking to you at all today? Or is it just me? Number eight, selfless love is not provoked. You see, the Greek word here, provoked, means to sharpen, stimulate, or rouse to anger. The Phillips translation, or the Phillips paraphrase, says it this way, that selfless love is not touchy, not touchy. Doesn't have a hair trigger. Hair-triggered temper. Have you ever had somebody you get around them and they just flare at everything? I've been through that a little bit in my life. Some people make everybody else around them walk on eggshells. They're easily offended. One little thing and it doesn't go their way and kaboom! The whole world is... A crisis, you know, everything's a mess. They use their temper to intimidate, to punish. When you confront them, they say, sure, I have a bad temper, but I, I get over it in a few minutes. Well, so does a bomb. It blows up and it, it leaves devastation, but it's over in just a few minutes. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you're angry, Usually, you do not love. Number nine, selfless love does not take into account a wrong suffered. This word account, selfless love doesn't take into an account, is, is an accounting word. Uh, it's used in numerical calculations. It's uh, used of God in the scriptures of him not imputing or counting our sins against us, but instead imputing, counting righteousness of Christ towards us. Have you ever noticed the scriptures? He, the Bible says he doesn't impute 
our sins, but he imputes righteousness. It's a, you would use compute. We would add these numbers together and it would be added to you today. Love, love doesn't keep a tally of wrongs. It doesn't bear a grudge until every last cent is paid. It doesn't try to gain the upper hand by reminding the other person of past wrongs. Love forgives. There's a married man, he said this to his friend. He says, you know, every time my wife and I get into conflict, she gets historical. He says, what do you mean historical? Don't you mean hysterical? He says, no, I mean historical. <laughs> How many of you have historical wives? <laughs> See, not one of you raised your hand. I tell you, that's not honest. I am talking to you. How many of you have historical husbands? How many of you wouldn't raise your hand if I paid you? You don't want, you don't want to spoil lunch, I know. Number 10 and 11 go together. Selfless love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Selfless love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. These qualities are the flip side of each other. The Moffat translation says, love is never glad when others go wrong. I think of the proverb that says, never delight in the calamity of another, lest a worse thing come upon you. Lest God see your delight and bring a worse thing upon you, or allow a worse thing to come upon you. There's something about this quality that God loves. To rejoice in the truth means to be glad about behavior that it's in accordance with the truth of the word of God. When you see somebody doing what's right, you rejoice in it. You say, oh man, that is so awesome. If, you, if, somebody, if someone you don't like falls into sin, don't gloat. Don't, uh, I told you, no. If you're walking in love, you grieve because God is grieved over sinfulness, the sinfulness of all men. And if that person repents, you rejoice. I, you know, I hear so many Christians and they see somebody who sins and they say, and then something happens, they say, see, they deserve that. They deserve that. Guys, guys, I thank God he doesn't give me what I deserve. If you got what you deserved, you'd be in big trouble. I thank God he's merciful. See, there's, there's a fine balance to love. Love is kind and love overlooks the fault of others, but it doesn't compromise the truth. And it doesn't take a soft view on sin. You know, for us to allow another person to go on sinning, whether it's a known sin or it's a scotoma or a blind spot, that's not seeking the best for that person. And it's not love. The Bible says if you see your brother sinning, go to him. Confront him. If he doesn't hear you, take another brother. Help him. Love carefully confronts, corrects precisely. Why? Because it cares deeply and it knows that sin is destructive in the life of a believer. Love rejoices when the truth is present. Love gets excited when it hears of spiritual victories. I get so excited. The testimony this morning of this lady, I got excited. I said, you got to show that. Show that testimony. Why? Because I want that for every one of you. Love encourages by expressing joy when somebody's growing. Have you ever seen somebody growing and you say, oh, man, I'm so excited at the growth I see in that person. I try to catch you growing and say, good job. You guys are amazing. John the Apostle wrote this. He said, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. I tell you, as a pastor, I have no greater joy than when I hear you doing what the Bible says. That's amazing. Number 12. Selfless love bears all things, bears all things. 
this word bears all things means to protect by covering. To protect by covering. Love doesn't broadcast the problems of people. It doesn't broadcast the problems of others. Love doesn't run others down. Doesn't use jokes and sarcasm and put downs. Love defends the character of the, the person that they're with or the other person as much as it possibly can within the limits of truth. Love doesn't lie about weaknesses, but neither will it be deliberate in exposing weaknesses and emphasizing weakness. Love protects. You know, I had a bad habit when we first got married because I grew up in the culture here. I, you know, I hung out with a bunch of males. Most of them weren't men, they were just males. And the, kind of the policy amongst the men was that in public places, you would cast dispersions at each other. You'd kind of, hey, <laughs> and, and if you could slice and dice and cut that person down and be sarcastic. And I didn't mind that too much because, you know, guys can be guys and we all knew it didn't mean anything. But when it crossed the gender boundary and the men were talking about their wives in public, in front of their wives, it's okay to do it behind their backs. It's not, it's not. But when they would tear down their wives with sarcasm publicly, it went too far. And when I first came into the ministry, I would kind of poke fun at my wife sometimes. Ah, I like my wife, you know. And I realized that it hurt her because it wasn't covering her. It wasn't burying her. And so I caused damage and I caused hurt through foolishness and through stupidity and through things I'd learned. But it wasn't the way of the Bible. It wasn't the way of Christ. It wasn't, so I had to relearn that. Am I still talking to you or am I talking to, are you still thinking about, don't you wish the, how many of you are thinking, man, I wish so-and-so was here for this message today. <laughs> That's not what we're doing today. We're not talking about so-and-so. We're talking about you. So everybody, just tell your neighbor, say, he's talking to me. He's talking to me. 13, come on, three more points. Selfless love believes all things. Uh, the NIV translation says, love always trusts. Uh, this doesn't mean that you're gullible. But it means that you're not suspicious. And you're not doubting of another person's character and motives without good reason. Even if his or her actions offend you, you're not going to just immediately write them off. Uh, if trust has been broken, I have to tell you, trust is the most important thing in life. And if it's ever broken, it can be re-earned, but it must be re-earned step by step. So never break trust. But love believes that the other person is innocent until proven guilty. Not guilty until proven innocent. If there's a problem, love doesn't jump and immediately blame the other person. And let me tell you something. If you're going to live this kind of love life, you probably get ripped off a few times. But I'd rather be ripped off trying to love you and staying in love and keep trusting you than to walk around suspicious and miss the opportunity to love you. Amen? Number, Amen. Number 14, selfless love. This is just a Bible study this morning. Are you okay with this? Selfless love hopes all things, the Bible says. Selfless love hopes all things. What does that mean? It simply means this. It's not pessimistic. How many of you are just pessimists? Everything's half empty. Everything's trouble. It doesn't expect love to fail. It expects love to succeed. Love refuses to take failure as a final answer. It exudes godly optimism, which says, I know you can do it because God in you is able. I love this kind of attitude. No, it doesn't ignore reality. 
I'm not saying we stick our heads in the sand and pretend like problems aren't problems. It doesn't close its eyes to problems. But it has a faith and a rest on the promises of God that he's working things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes through Christ Jesus. Love always hopes. The other day I was writing a letter to someone and uh, I was really struggling writing the letter because the person had let me down so many times and had done so many things that, and I still love this person very, very much and there was a lot of hurt in my heart and I'm trying to be positive and I'm trying to be corrective but not bearing down. I'm, I'm trying to be loving. And I asked my son, Tommy, I said, Tommy, just, just read this. And how, how can I approach this? I, I kind of shared my heart with him a little bit. He gave me such wisdom. He says, Dad, why don't you speak to the Jesus in that person? Speak to what the king in the person. Speak to what he could become and not what he is right now. Speak to what God sees in him. You know, it set me free. I began to speak. Here's what I see in you. Here's what I believe you can be. This is what I believe you can do. I believe. And you know what? I do believe those things. We're just not there yet. But that's love. That's the kind of love that we're talking about. Amen? That's the love that hopes all things. And then finally, selfless love endures all things. It endures all things. This word for endures is a military word. It means to sustain the assault of the enemy. To sustain the assault of an enemy. What it means is it kind of has the idea of holding up under trial. It's perseverance in and through difficulties. It, it, it kind of means that love uh, hangs in there. It just hangs in. When others quit, you just hang in there. It, it, it's not a passive or it's not a stoic attitude. It's a positive, triumphant spirit that sticks at it, stays with the program, pushes through. You know, there's an epidemic amongst Christians today bailing out of tough situations. People don't like something in the church, so they go find another church. The only problem is that when you get there, the same problem's there because the problem wasn't the church, it was you. I always tell that to people. If you are looking for the perfect church, when you find it, don't join it. Why? Because if you join it, it won't be perfect anymore. Say, he's talking to me again. He's still talking to me. You see, when people, especially believers, run into problems or disagreements in their marriage or they grow tired of their efforts, They bail out. They get out of the problem. I hear somebody saying, but isn't divorce a legitimate answer for adultery? Hmm. Technically, yes. But in my experience, all too often, the one partner uses it, uses it as an excuse to bail out of the marriage where both partners have been wronging each other for a long, long time and repeated it in many ways. Now, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not minimizing the seriousness of adultery. It destroys trust. It creates all kinds of problems in marriage. And I'm not suggesting that it's easy to work through. <laughs> it takes a lot of hard work to rebuild a marriage. In fact, it's a brick at a time. But God's best is to forgive and to renew your marriage, not to bail out. The Bible says love endures all things. That's how love acts. Love is selfless. It's not thinking just about itself. It wholly directs its attention to build up the other person. Now, let me close with this thought. Nobody can love like that. Only God is love. 1 John 4, 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Let me tell you something. If you don't have God, you can't love like this. 
It's impossible. I feel sorry for people in the world that don't have Christ, that don't have God, because they can't love each other. They say they love each other, but nine times out of ten, they love themselves. And they see their husband or their wife as a trophy or their children as somehow to live vicariously through them. But when you really have God in your heart, there's a quality to this love, and it's depicted here. Go back and look at verses 4 through 7 with me. And where the word love is, let's put the word Christ. It's the perfect description of who God is. He is patient. Christ is patient. He is kind. He's not jealous. He does not brag. He is not arrogant. He doesn't act unbecomingly. He does not seek his own. Christ is not provoked, does not take into an account a wrong suffered. He does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. You see, if you and I want to love each other, we have to focus on his love. We have to focus on the power of his Holy Spirit on the inside of us that causes us to love. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, temperance, goodness, kindness. Against such there is no law. By Spirit-filled living, we're going to walk this life. I read a Reader's Digest article. Seven times a day we praise you, Lord, and we thank you. As we close the service, we are worshiping and our hearts are in the right place. Amen. Remember who we're talking to today? Okay. This Reader's Digest article in 1983, there was this quote. It says, love at first sight is easy to understand. It's when two people have been looking at each other for years that it becomes a miracle. <laughs> it's not really a miracle, folks. It's the result of yielding to God. It's the result of repeatedly confronting our selfishness. It's the daily practicing of biblical love in our marriage in our homes, with our families. There was an old story, and I'll close with this story. It's a legend that in his old age, the apostle John was so weak that he'd have to be carried into church meetings. And because he's the old apostle, they'd always give him a place to speak. And at the end of the meetings, he would be helped to his feet. He'd give a word of exhortation. And the exhortation was inevitably the same one that he'd been giving for like the last 20 years. Very short. And he would say this. Little children love one another. The disciples grew tired of hearing the same word every time. And finally they said to him, why do you keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. His reply was this, because it is the commandment of the Lord and the observation of, observation of it alone is sufficient. What's he saying? He says, if you'll just do this one thing, you'll obey the full commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with your whole heart, your whole mind, your whole soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We're talking about sharing his love. You can't share the love of Christ unless Christ is in you. You can't share his love unless love is in you. And you can't have agape love unless it's the love of God. When we ask you to go find three people and bring them to action, it wasn't because we're trying to get the church to be filled up. It's because we genuinely love people. And we're hoping that you do too, that you genuinely love enough that you say, hey, I'm willing to let the love of God flow in my heart towards somebody that might go to hell without me. It's kind of an idea. If we discovered right now that there were only five minutes left to say all we wanted to say before the world would be consummated, I would venture to say that every one of you would be on your telephone 
calling as many people as you could find, stammering out some kind of way of saying, I love you. I love you. You see, the greatest yearning in every human being's heart is to love and to be loved. Selfless love is our priority. The Apostle Paul finishes the 13th chapter and he begins the 14th chapter with two words. Just put up the 14th chapter. Pursue love. Pursue love. I'm asking you that leading up to action, would you do just that? First of all, pursue love between your husband and wife friends that you have, the church, the people around you, those that you're inviting to action, would you just pursue love, this agape love? Would you do that? Now would you talk to your neighbor, say, you know, he spoke to me, but I hope he spoke to you too. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.